Welcome to Xavier's Dream Podcast. I'm your host, Rain Coleman, and this is a carefree black nerd examination of the newest dawn of the X-Men. Y'all, we're just going to jump right into it. This is Xavier's Dream, episode 10, covering Powers of X, issue 5 of 6, for the children. All right, y'all, jumping right in. The creative team, as usual, Jonathan Hickman as the writer, R.B. Silva as the artist, Marte Gracia, the color artist, V.C.'s Clayton Cowles as the letterer, Tom Mueller as the designer. So, with this issue, when you're listening to this episode and reading, rereading that issue, live tweet using that hashtag Xavier's Dream Pod or XDPod. Okay, so life got in the way. Things have been turned around. This will be probably a shorter episode, so we can get right into the next installment. But we start off by knowing that they will think we are doing one thing, but the truth is we are doing something altogether different. Man, the opening in this book, we don't even get like a cold open. We go right to X-Men Year One in none other than Dallas, Texas. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> I don't know. Ignore that. <laughs> so, we dive into the middle of a conversation between Xavier and some other person. At the first few panels, we don't know who that is. Then the camera pulls back, and we see that it is Forge. So, what Xavier is asking, with a cerebral helmet sitting in front of him, looks like he's underwater. He says, my question is, can it be done? The person says, you know what they say, Professor. There's nothing that can't be done. The real question is one of feasibility. For example, what if the energy cost of the improvements you want means we'd need access to a fusion reactor? Would that really be a workable solution? He responds, let's say it would be hypothetically. Well, now we're talking. So for those of you who don't know, Forge is a mutant. I believe he's a technopath. For The short version is he can... Uh, communicate and assemble machinery. He can see things that the normal person does not see. He can create weapons and inventions that not even he understands how he's created them. In the sense that he can still use them and and um, um, they are a benefit to him, but he doesn't have... Um, we'll just leave it there. He can create weapons and inventions and whatnot. So we continue on with Forge. You, on your what? third generation of Cerebro, fourth, the professor interjects, counting the initial prototype, but only that first one was solely my design, Forge. Most of the improvements regard range and sensitivity have been Henry McCoy's doing. And so they get to talking about Henry, Cerebro, the different iterations, and essentially we're trying to upgrade Cerebro in a way that may or may not be feasible. Um... So Forge is telling him that, you know, Henry McCoy, he's certainly smart, but this kind of machine building, well, a bit beyond the good doctor's expertise. As I see it, you have two problems. Volume, there are lots of mutant minds out there, Charles, and that number is growing every year. And then there's redundancy. In the micro, you're talking about a database of mutants, minds, that is going to have an account for updated versions of each mind. For example between, uh, excuse me, the difference between who you were last year and who you were this year. So pretty much what we're doing is the cloning process with the five and with the new bodies and the resurrected mutant. This is that 
conversation that led to that process. So we're talking with Forge about upgrading Cerebro so that we're able to imprint the mind of the old body of the mutant onto the new one. Loving it. Um, so yeah, so this is a, a pretty heated conversation. I don't want to give too much of this. I know this is a follow along, read with me to see if we can fall in love with the X-Men again. I'll tell you right now, I already have. Hickman has done his thing. But a lot of this, I think it really benefits a lot from reading the short version is that these are the seeds planted to lead up to that resurrection machine that we do have now in the current x-men um i do like that we have forge i like that we're utilizing him um when it comes to people who are people of color but of different races sometimes it gets kind of i want to say difficult because i feel like that's incorrect but it gets kind of tricky having them represented in a comic uh, created by people who are not white men, essentially. Um, Forge is a Native American, First Nations. I'm not sure what's the PC term for it, but he's an Indian person. Um, and he's a bit light. He, if you don't know that he's Indian, they put the this scarf on his head this band that kind of codes him as indian um but he looks a bit light for my taste but that's i'll leave that as it where it is um but yeah so we talk about having um some imperial design some shiar tech we talk about having a logic diamond uh for data storage we talk about upgrading cerebro and all in all this very heated conversation in this underground it's either an underground aquarium or it's just an aquarium. I'm not sure. But, um, so we ended with this. Forge says, okay, taking this a step further, you want me to construct an entirely new system or integrate in, into the new, excuse me, into the existing one. Charles leaned forward. He says, as you very well know, the only person qualified to make that call is you, Forge. The only question is, are you or are you not going to build it for me? And he has this very sinister look on his face. And I've heard some different podcasts discussing Charles and the X-Men. And, oh, this ain't the X-Men I knew. And I don't like this. And this, that, and the third. And I think it's valid. Everyone can interpret comic and art how you want. And you decide what's best for you and what's not. But the thing that really gets me. And this one comment that I've heard over and over. Was that uh, I don't know whether the root for the humans or the, the mutants. Well... I think it's pretty obvious this is an X-Men book, so you root for the mutants, like, period, regardless of how you feel, like, they are the protagonists of this story. It's like, oh, but we're the humans, and what if this happens to us? Well, this is a comic. These are not real mutants. But with that same logic in tow, you still would root for the mutants. And the proof of why is shown in the next issue, which is House of X, um, Six of Six. Now, for me personally, I'm rooting for the mutants, not only because I see them as an analog for black people and marginalized people, how they're treated, but if we just look at the incontinuity history of the mutants and of their relationship with humans, humans have been beating them over the head for years, trying, ways, trying to find ways to kill them and get rid of them, 
And some people have committed crimes who are mutants who need to be locked up. And there are others who are just minding their goddamn business. And then you're hitting the head with a mutants die or die muties um, um, bottle or, or, or I don't know, propaganda or a sentinel, for God's sakes. People have created gigantic robots that can mass produce on their own <coughs> just to get rid of these mutants. Why the fuck would they not come up with this elaborate plan to secede from the world and have their own space where they won't have to be hunted? It makes no sense to me. Why is that hard to believe? Or shit, to understand. So we have different versions of Cerebro. We have the version 7.0, which was originally powered by a Shi'ar antimatter engine. The current build of Cerebro now runs on a Krakoan no-place vent converted by Forge to act as an unlimited power source for mutants living on the island. Shi'ar Logic Diamonds still remain the primary choice for data storage and are also how Sinister's DNA sequencing is cached. Now for this one I do want to point out that I initially thought through some of the past issues that when we were discussing a boom in um, population, the mutant population, I, for whatever reason, thought those were just naturally born babies. Like, we're here, we're safe, now we can have sex and make families and not worry about it. But, that seemed to be more or less these clones that we have. Now, um, it does note here that Forge's increasing mastery of Krakoan tech continues unabated. Now, the transition of his powers with traditional machine building to biological machine building remains impressive. I love this about Forge. Now, a revolution in Krakoan technology seems imminent. So, think of it this way. Krakoa has his own language. No one can decipher it. Professor X, using his telepathy, is able to communicate with Krakoa. Cool. But then we get Douglas Ramsey Cypher, who comes in and says, Okay, yeah, you're communicating with Krakoa, but you're not really hearing Krakoa. You're getting these good, bad, friend enemy you're getting these very elementary conversations with a being that has a more developed um, language now I'm not sure if it's been said that Douglas actually understands every single thing excuse me that Krakoa says I think that may be the case because when the professor left him there to create to communicate with Krakoa one would imagine that in those months time he was able to decipher it. That's his power, to decipher language. Forge's power deals with machinery and invention and building. If he, with his power, he and Douglas would seem to be the only people who can truly connect with Krakoa in two very different ways. So Douglas has the audible, I'm speaking with you, I decipher your language, whereas Forge is dealing with the kinesthetic, the I'm there physically there are things that are going on that I'm able to relate to you where he may not understand the language. Then we get to the part where the Krakoan language has been imprinted on the um, minds of every mutant. So then uh, it's just it's a lot going on. It's a lot of storytelling. It's a lot of deep dives. There's a lot of things that are going over my head. I'm relying on the um, mutant and proud crowd on social media, mainly Twitter to, you know, kind of maneuver through this space. And I'm enjoying this. So, with the functionality of Cerebro, once a week, 
Charles Xavier copies the latest version, quote-unquote latest version, of every mutant mind to multiple redundant cradles located in several locations across the world. These backups are the essence of each mutant. How they think, how they feel, their memories, their very being. This partial process takes approximately three hours. Once a year, Xavier does a hard backup for each, me, of each mutant on the planet. Unlike the weekly backups, this process is not a partial backup, but a fresh copy of a whole mind. This process takes three days during which the process cannot be interrupted and Xavier cannot be disturbed. Now, like I said previously stated, while there has been no experimentation with what happens if you combine a mutant mind and a mutant body that is not the same, it is believed that unless the mutant has some primary or secondary ability to overcome the potential damage that this mismatch would cause, it's likely to be um, harmful and possibly fatal, which would make sense. If I am Jean Grey Marvel Girl in mind and you place me into the body of, I don't know, uh, Forge, Yes, they're, they're both powerful and they both have control of their powers, but you're putting me into a body that is not my own. So the whole essence and being of me, Jean Grey Marvel Girl, goes into another person's body. First of all, the mix-up that that would cause, or why would that mix-up be caused, I would imagine the mutants are being attacked during this hard backup phase. If that does happen, that can spin out to so many different types of new characters of different stories so let's say we go ahead and do that now with the mutant power being coded in your dna and gene gray being a power powerful telepath not having that tele telepathic ability or ooh, okay how do i say this everything that is you in your mind is backed up into your body if you put this powerful omega level telepath into the body of someone else is the mutant essence of her in her mind because she's this strong telepath or is it encased in the body that she has so that being said if she does in um, inhabits forge's body does she now have omega level control over his powers or does forge's body now have just telepathic ability because that was brought over from uh from xavier's mind or is it both am i now this telepathic technopathic Omega level Jean Grey in the body of Forge. Like it, uh, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot to, to, to take on. Um, in the different locations for the cradles or the 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 bodies, clones, um, House of X, Island M, Summer House, The Point, and Moira's No Place. Okay, so we move on to year 10. Now, this, I believe we're in Paris. And uh, Emma tells everybody to get out psychically. Um, her and Charles have a conversation. And this is pretty much them talking about the need for her. Uh, Eric shows up. And what they're saying is, we need you to help us. We're doing something big. And I like that through these 12 issues, we're getting this very heavy and serious story. We're getting the pretty much the origins of the new X-Men, of the new Dawn. We, we're getting, we're seeing this play out from start to finish, albeit kind of mix-matched and thrown all over the place, but we're getting a, a cohesive story. 
cannot wait to see this story on the big screen. I cannot wait to see it on the little screen. I want to see this story played out. Um, yes, yeah, so Emma says to them, um, um, it's either going to be incredibly heroic or terrifyingly reckless. Which one is it? Talking about Charles and Eric at her doorstep. Now, Charles is, they're doing this like good cop, bad cop. I'm selling you on something. And he said, uh, come now, Emma, where's your faith? Couldn't it possibly just, just be as easy as being both? She's like, Yo, what do you want? I'm busy. Like, and I feel her like you, you, you come to me with a proposition. You haven't given it to me. You've interrupted my life. What is it that you want from me? So he started trying to sell her. I've noticed, and because I know the Hellfire Corporation is an international prime mover, I was wondering if you've heard rumblings of certain companies being on the verge of delivering miracle drugs to the market. She's aware of those rumors. And are you aware that through a series of shell corporations and offshore interests that I am sh the one behind this shipping company? She's the, <laughs> you were listening earlier when I pointed out your lack of subtlety, which I love that because they're two telepaths, both powerful. I think um, Charles is the only Omega level in the room, but she's powerful to her own right. And uh, she's like, Nigga, you, you aren't subtle. We, we know this. And if she's picking this up, other people have as well. So he continues, fair enough, but the move behind that move is we're, excuse me, is we're going to use the need of those drugs as leverage in the establishment of a mutant nation state, Krakoa. Okay, and this is what I really like about this issue in this scene. So Emma has this very shocked look on her face. So, not heroic at all, just reckless. And she turns to Eric and she is very aggressive. Let's put all the mutants on an island together again. Gather them together in one place. Put a giant target on it. You should know better than that. And again, Genosha, remember what happened. You know, uh, fucking, um, what is it, Utopia. Remember, what? like we have all these instances where that was not a good idea. Um, and she's like, oh, you think this can happen? And I love how angry she is because just like a woman, these motherfuckers is coming in to disturb your life with a proposition that could be good or bad, but it's like, okay, you knucklehead motherfuckers is interrupting my life for something that we've heard and we've done before. It did not work out. Why are you doing this? Why are you dragging me into this? What could be better? What could, what could make this time better? A government for a nation that doesn't exist based on economic ramifications of an imaginary drug in a world that historically would rather kill us than trust us. Aren't the two of you getting a little ahead of yourselves? I love Emma's dialogue in this book. Because even though we, the reader, see what's going on and we're hopeful, she ain't got there yet. And it's like, she's asking all the questions that had this these events been real, we would want to know our goddamn selves. What the fuck do you guys think? So, Eric answers. In one month, the population of Krakoa will seemingly overnight expand from several mutants to well over 100,000. Three months later, it will be five times that. And by this time next year, it could be as high as 2 million. We are not ahead of ourselves, Miss Frost. We are woefully behind. Bruh, a complaint that I've heard when it comes to these books has been there hasn't been any action. There's a lot of talking. But we've gotten several decades of X-Men just punching and fighting and that being that. Uh, and at its core, it's a soap opera. It is a soap opera. So how in the hell do you complain about these 12 issues that a lot of them do have a lot of talking, a lot of world building, a lot of history 
when you know for a fact these 12 issues will set up the rest of the X-Men for years to come. Deal with it. Like, you're not getting anything that's fluff. Everything is important. So, she said, yeah, you guys are serious. You know, we've been waiting for this day to make right all the wrongs. And what makes it different this time? And this when they show her the Krakoan flower. Now, with that, they trans trans transport transform teleport tra they go to <laughs> Krakoa she does a deep sigh <sighs> one more time then for the children all right I'm in tell me what you need and I love that because say what you want about Emma she's been a bad guy she's been a good guy she's been a kind of grayish character she's done a thousand and one things that could be good or bad but at her core it seems like the one thing that consistently follows her is her need to take care of the children the hellions generation x and all iterations and even now like i just for that to be a big part of this character for the children to be that one thing that pushes her over the edge to say okay let's do this i love it so pretty much what they need from her is the company. You know, they've gone to manufacturing these drugs. They need the Hellfire Club. She says, because you cannot trust the distribution of your product to humans and the Hellfire Corporation already has the international reach to do so, you want me to become the East India Trading Company of Mutinum, don't you? Yes. Um, I won't lie. I like the taste of it. We would be willing to formalize the arrangement, of course. We were thinking a 20-year... <coughs> what? Yes, I was saying we are thinking a 50-year exclusive contract with you as the sole distributor. Better. Like, we go through all this, and I'm not a woman, so I can only speak tangentially. I can only speak very slightly on this. But you come to me. You interrupt my life. You tell me about this gigantic nation state that we are building. You recognize that I have the international reach and the uh, money for yeah to get your idea to fruition. And you still fucking lowball me? I hate to say it, but if Emma was a man, and this is so... Would you have even attempted to talk about a 20-year distribution deal. Now, you can say, yeah, they would have because, you know, you want to make sure you get the best deal. Cool, I understand that. But in the world that things X-Men exist in, just a few panels before, we discussed how you need me to get this done because you can't trust the humans. This is a very delicate matter that deals directly to us as mutants worldwide. Why would you lowball her with a 20-year distribution deal? Because now my thing is, after those 20 years, who else is going to do the distributing? If, if she was to accept that. Like, who else are you going to find? And then, do you, like, it's, it's weird. So, I think it, well, I don't know, I just think that's odd that you lowball her like that. Um, yeah, so, money aside, they have a council. And they give her two seats on the council. And, uh, he say, Charles says, perhaps... We'll find our way as we go, regardless of the spark that sets things in motion and what begins to fire will grow to an inferno. That that had to be placed there intentionally. Don't nobody say inferno in an X-Men comic without it meaning something. So she says, okay, but why two seats? 
He says, we need to bring Sebastian Shaw back into the Hellfire Club. Now, I'm not sure if something has happened in comics prior to the House of uh, X and Powers of Ten, but Sebastian Shaw, I don't know anything about him recently. She says, I just fired him. I just got rid of him. So what they need is for them two to be the face. They need a united front, which makes sense. But it's like, damn, you lowball her and you bring back this motherfucker. You knew you was going to ask her to bring him back. And you still offering her 20-year exclusive deal? Man. So this scene ends with Charles saying, can we count on you? Will you do it? She says, I'll do it. But not for two seats on the council. I'll be needing three. Woo! Shit is heating up. Shit is heating up. So we have the Quiet Council of Krakoa. This is the 12-person ruling council of Krakoa that decides how the mutant nation handles external conflicts and the internal laws of the island itself. There are some debate as to whether this council will continue to in perpetuity, excuse me, or if some of the other systems of government will replace it. As of this issue, for the autumn leg of the council, we have Professor X and Magneto. For the winter, it's all redacted. For the spring, we have Black King Sebastian Shaw, White Queen Emma Frost, and summer is redacted as well. Now, on this council, we do have 13 and 14 as Cypher and Krakoa, which I believe will be acting as one unit. Now, after this, we move on to the summoning Professor X stands at one of the gateways of Krakoa and he uses his telepathy to do this. Mutants of Earth, we are building something. All of you, all of our brothers, all of our sisters, all. Now is the time to put aside our differences and realize we are one people. So I'm extending an invitation. Join us, for you have a place here. It is a place of refuge, of sanctuary. It is your home. And we will be waiting for you here on Krakoa. And so when he does this, he deliberately reaches out to, it looks like a lot of villains, a lot of evildoers. Uh, let me say for a minute, Omega Red looks fantastic. I love this, um, I don't know, new like Power Rangers looking suit of his. I like that. There's one person who I believe is in Japan, maybe tied to Wolverine. I don't know who this is. Maybe this is Dakin's mother. I don't know. Someone, if you know, let me know. Use that hashtag Xavier's Dream Pod or XDPod. So we move on to the future. I'm sorry, to the under the sea, rather. And we are speaking with Namor. And Namor says this motherfucker like, this ain't what you want. I What do you want from me, Professor X? He says, um... Let's see what he says. So let me see if I understand you clearly. You're inviting all the mutants on this planet to live together on your perfect little island. The good, the evil, and those beyond such quaint descriptors. Yes, we are Namor, and we want you to join us. Please, come home. It's kind of you to ask. But if I'm comprehending the real reason you're doing this, it's because you finally realize that you are not them. And that they will never accept you or love you. Not because you don't deserve it, but because they envy you. They hate your superiority and they always will. It's good that you finally figured this out. But let me ask you, do I strike you as someone who just now realized how much better I am than everyone else? And do you think, do you actually think, I believe that you feel that way too? 
Go away, little man, and don't come back until you really mean it. Bro, Namor is bad ass. He is, I, okay, I've always known about Namor. I've liked him. I've liked him in the stories I've seen. I have not um, dived into his history, dive <laughs> into his history um, as extensively as um, I probably could in a future episode of Carefree Black Nerd Podcast. Now, with Namor, I did talk about the Royal Mackenzies, so the African-American, the black Namor and his family with Sue Storm in an alternate reality. But this Namor, Namor proper, is a badass, stuck-up king of the seven seas. I love this motherfucker. He gave it to him straight. I am a mutant. I have always been better than them. You just now realizing it. Get the fuck away from me. I love this. I love this. So then we go to the future. This, I have to admit, this storyline is quite boring to me now. Um, we're talking about Ascension. We're talking about the Phoenix um, accepting the future versions of these people. The librarian being a bit confused, speaking with Nimrod. And uh, I'm going to fast forward to the very end here where the Nimrod says, um, or the librarian rather asks, I still don't understand why. Nimrod says, it's not an incremental deal, librarian. They've accepted your overture. Converting matter to energy is how they thrive in service to their masters. We asked for sovereignty, but it came with an unexpected price. Tomorrow they will absorb our collective intelligence into theirs, and their history and consciousness of this planet will live on forever. But in doing so, they will feed consuming this entire planet and leaving no living thing behind. So it seems to me that they've written a check that their ass can't cash. Um... Again, this is quite boring to me. And boring, not boring isn't the right word because it's boring in comparison to the rest of the story, but boring in a sense that it's still a big part of the overall narrative that needs to be understood. So it's not boring in that regard, but I just, I'm not as moved by this. Especially since we're seeing the creation of Krakoa, the Krakoa Nation, and I'm like, okay, that's cool. We got our Krakoa Nation are we inevitably seeing the end, like the future where there's a war and now we um, get sucked up by the Phoenix? Like, what are, what are we actually seeing and doing here? And I'm sure that'll be explained, but I'm just not, it's not interesting to me. Um, if it is to you, let me know. Um, yeah, let me know. And if you if you can explain some of it to me, do that as well, because I'm, again, I'm not really that interested in it i want to see the payoff but i'm not interested so guys that being said thank you all for listening this has been xavier's dream podcast let me know when listening to this episode if you think this issue had xavier's dream deferred or fulfilled or realized is is it active is this xavier's dream or not um hit me up on the twitters carefree blurred uh use the hashtag Xavier's Dream Pod or XD Pod. Hit me up on all those other social medias, Carefree Black Nerd. And, uh, man, get back with me again for the next issue, the next installment. Let's see what's going on. Also, tell me, what books do you plan on getting in this Dawn of X? Marauders, maybe? Fallen Angels? X-Men? New Mutants? What is it? What are you going to pick up? Let me know. Tweet me. Um, yeah, that's that. Okay, guys. So, until next time, stay carefree, stay nerdy. Stay geeky and stay a fuck away from these humans and build your own Krakoan nation full of your marginalized folks.
you know, you know what I do.